Welcome to the Trust and Believe Nomad Cast, a podcast that talks about mental health, life lessons, unbridled motivation, and unique storytelling. Here is your host, retired Army Master Sergeant, Mr. Anderson. Hey, hey, you are tuned into episode 65 of the Trust and Believe Nomad Cast here on the 2nd of February. 2022 thank you mrs anderson for that wonderful wonderful intro angelic with the voice hey before we get started with anything let's take care of some housekeeping notes as you see the website below you may have noticed that i cut the fat on the website name originally if you're new to this it was the trust and believe nomad cast dot like i said i cut the fat on it i put the meat on the grill cut the fat off so now it's just TMB nomadcast.buzzsprout.com. And I ensured I synced that website uh, throughout all my social medias and YouTubes and what have you. So again, the website below, the TMB nomadcast.buzzsprout.com continues to serve as your one stop shop for all your audio needs as it relates to the Nomadcast, the Apples, the Spotify, the Googles, the Amazons. You can even listen to the Nomadcast on the website as well. Also social media. I am on LinkedIn. Please connect with me. Instagram. Please like, and follow TikTok, Please like, and follow. And of course, YouTube. If you're new to the YouTube universe, like what you hear, like what you see, click that subscribe button. Now click that bell icon button now. And now you'll be notified of all the latest and greatest as it relates to the nomad cast, the trust and believe nomad cast. All right, got a great show today for y'all, Way Back Wednesday, Way Back Wednesday. Um, and the reason I chose this story here, a couple of days ago, I was in Walmart, and one of my old soldiers, he was a future soldier when I was a recruiter, a U.S. Army recruiter in Detroit. And I saw him in Walmart. He had just came back from Korea, made the rank of uh, staff sergeant, and uh, he had made the rank of staff sergeant, had his family with him. So I was kind of talking to him, him and his family and everything. And that led me to talk about, you know, he, he talked about, you know, I'm thankful that, you know, you guys were in the station. You pushed me to go forward. You know, initially I didn't want to join, but you guys kind of, you know, laid out the groundwork for me, kind of laid the roadmap to success for me. And I'm glad I did it. You know, he's got his family here, life support, the whole, the whole nine. So I said, you know what, for way back Wednesday, I'm going to talk about reasons why I became, I volunteered and became a United States army recruiter. And that's one of the reasons why. So I'm going to take y'all down that road, conduct a, a semi deep dive, if you, if you will. So today's way back Wednesday, is going to be the reasons why I volunteered to become a U.S. army recruiter. And we'll take a deep dive into four reasons why there's a lot more reasons. I got hundreds of reasons, but I just narrowed them down to four, right? For the sake of time, because y'all know I get to talking and talking and talking, right? So t stay tuned, stay locked. Way back Wednesday is next. Trust and believe. Right, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to Way Back Wednesday here on the Deuce of February. Deuce, zero, deuce, deuce. Y'all can figure that out, right? Hey, so as I stated in uh, the intro, I picked this story today for Way Back Wednesday. Reasons why I, I volunteered to become a U.S. Army recruiter and I deep dive into four reasons why. But the genesis of picking this story, um, I was, like I stated, 
I saw one of my old future soldiers who's currently a staff sergeant. He just came back from Korea with his family. And I seen him at Walmart. So, you know, we just kicked it, you know, chit chatted and everything. And he was very appreciative of my efforts and our efforts uh, in our recruiting station in Detroit. Uh, he's one of those guys. He had failed to ASVAP, uh, but he, he stayed with it, continued to dig, continued to dig. And this guy is a daggone staff sergeant in the United States Army and plan on making it a career. So anytime someone makes it a career in the, in the military, whether it's Army, Marines, Air Force or whatever, I always there's always something in my heart that goes out to him because being a person that served in two branches and currently retired, I, I understand the pain and sacrifice they had to go through individually, collectively, family, so on and so forth. So all praises do. All right, so let's get started with Way Back Wednesday. Four reasons why I became a U.S. Army recruiter. All right, so my number one reason for volunteering to become a U.S. Army recruiter because, number one, my initial Army recruiter was unorganized, and it bothered me. So if you know my history, I was a prior service Marine, and I joined the Army. I was honorably discharged from the Marines in '98. January 1998, I joined enlisted in the Army October of 1999. So prior to me shipping off to uh, Fort Jackson to get my uniforms and everything, that summer of 1999, I had talked with an Army recruiter. And uh, I initially was going to go back into the Marines, but I seen some of our old friends that was in the Marines. And it's like, man, join the Army, join the Army. And as a Marine, you're taught that other branches are not to Marine levels, just the way you're taught. Right. And so every, every scenario, bad scenario, every negative connotation I had about the army came to fruition. When I walked in my army recruiter's office, soon as I walked in there, and this is when the army was still wearing them old greens, uh, dress uniforms, the pickle suits. Right. But he had the short sleeve shirt on and I walked in there. And there was like papers everywhere. Of course, this is back in, this is prior to the digital age. Papers all scattered all over the place. I mean, he was eating like a, a submarine sandwich from one of the local submarine shops. Just disgusting. And, you know, just fat, you know, and in the Marines, you know, when we wear our uniforms, particularly our, our dress uniforms, our short sleeve shirts, our long sleeve shirts, we wear garters, what we call them shirt stays but they're really garters and you put them at the, at the bottom of your shirts and then you attach them to your socks or they can be uh, fit up under your, under your socks. So the whole point is when you wear it, it's a nice, clean, seamless look. You know what I mean? And the army doesn't teach that. I used to, I continued to wear shirt stays while I was in the army. People's like, how do you, how do you make sure you do that? But that's another story. So, but his belly was like all over the place. I mean, he just looked freaking nasty. And at first I was like, you know what? Bump this. I'm not dealing with these dudes, but my spirit was like, stay here. So when I talked to him, he was, you know, just kind of just all over the place. And, and I told him, I said, look, man, I'm a prior service Marine, honorably discharged this, that, and the third, you know, I ain't trying to no bonuses or nothing. I just want to join the military. I want to get back in the fight. Right. And the only good thing that he did for me, the blessed thing that he did for me, he promised me he can get me Europe. And we kept going back and forth, back and forth. And he told me, if I can get you Europe, will you enlist in the army? And I told him, I said, dude, if you can get me Europe, 
you could put me on the bird and I'm gone. Right. I didn't, you know, if you listen to other previous nomad cast, uh, when I kind of touched on this story, gave provided the wave top to the story. I didn't, I didn't believe him. I was calling him up, calling his bluff. Like, man, this dude ain't got no cloud or nothing. Cause I didn't understand how recruiting worked. He ended up getting me my assignment and everything. And you know, that was the genesis of, of my career. But I just remember, I remember him talking. He was just kind of just unorganized. I would call him, you know, he was late calling me back. And it was just, you know, I'm glad I stayed with it. And I'm glad that, you know, I ended up enlisting. But there was times, there was probably about five instances where I say, you know what? If I, he's lucky he's going to get me the assignment I want. Because if he don't, if he doesn't, I am freaking gone. And I, I told myself, I made I made three goals for myself when I enlisted. Before I enlisted, I said, I want to be a, a recruiter. I want to at least, you know, have two degrees. And I want to retire in the rank of master sergeant, right? But dealing with that recruiter, my initial recruiter in the Army was one of the reasons why I said, if I'm ever in a position, if I ever get a chance to volunteer for recruiting duty, right? If I ever get a chance to volunteer for recruiting duty, I'm going to ensure that I'm always talking to the future soldier, male or female. I, I'm, I will, I will always maintain contact. I will continue to provide those values. I will train, do all those things, live the warrior ethos, do all those things for that future soldier, because this cat, he would call, you know, and then, you know, the conversation was kind of like blah, blah, blah. But the only thing that he did right by me, the only thing he did right by me, he got me in my assignment in Europe and I ended up going to Germany. Other than that, the dude, man, he was just sloppy, not no communication skills. I don't know what he learned in recruiting school, but that was the main, that was the first reason why I volunteered for recruiting duty because I had a bad recruiter, uh, in the army, bad person. It just didn't, you just, you know, some people you just don't get that right vibe with. And it was him again. The only thing that he did right, he got me my assignment. So I guess at the end of the day, you know, whatever it was, but that was reason number one. The second reason, number two, the reason why I joined, uh, I volunteered to go on recruiting duty. I needed a break from deployments. I needed a break from being in the field. I needed a break from being on rotations and operational army endeavors because they got to the point that I already, I was on a deployment when I volunteered for recruiting duty. I had a previous deployment prior to that had been going in the unit, going to the field all the time, going on exercises, doing all these things to sum it up. I was away from home constantly. And I remember one of my old master sergeants was like, Hey man, when I was a staff sergeant, you know, I volunteered to go on recruiting duty, best decision of my life because I needed a break. I needed a break. And I remember we were in Kuwait. We was deployed to Kuwait. And we was in a tactical operation center, which is commonly known as a talk. So we had like a little briefing area where we would, we would do our work and conduct our uh, briefs. Right. And it was set up in tiers. So you had like one tier was a group of people, transportation and all these other MOSs. And at the back tier, it was a staff sergeant who's right now he's in the Sergeant Majors Academy. He dealt with all the schools. I was in the middle. I, I wrote all the operation orders for the brigade and had another staff sergeant on the side of me. She was in charge of all the training for the brigade. 
And then one of our other good friends, she was a, a platoon sergeant for one of the units. We were all staff sergeants, E6s. And I remember we were, we were tight and we still are to this day. But I remember four staff sergeants, we realized we needed to change. We were all tired of deployments. We were just tired of the operational army. What can we do to change this scope? Because we know we needed to become either an instructor, a drill sergeant, or a recruiter. Now, I took the recruiter route. The other staff sergeant on the side of me, who's currently in the Sergeant Majors Academy, he took the recruiter route. The female staff sergeant that sat on the right side of me, she became a drill sergeant. And one of the other staff sergeant, female, she became a drill sergeant. So in our little crew, four staff sergeants, we had two drill sergeants and two freaking uh, recruiters. And I remember we were sitting there like, I needed, I need to do something. I'm tired of being away from home, this, that, and the third. And we were already deployed. So I put my packet in and uh, did the whole, you got to do the, the mental evaluation. They got to take a photo. I mean, you got to fill out this application, not an application, but fill out all the paperwork and they got to do a, a backgrounds check. They got to make sure your brigade commander signs off, signs off on it, making sure the battalion commander signs off on it. I mean, it, it has to go through a lot of tiers up and down the chain. And uh, that was one of the main reasons why, because I was just tired of freaking deploying. I was tired of going to the field. I wanted to be home. And I knew becoming a, rec a recruiter, it will provide me that opportunity to be home. And then when I got on recruiting dude, I was like, well, shoot, man, I'm spending a lot of time away from home, but I'm still, you know, in the city. And it was, uh, it was fascinating. Um, once I found out where I was going, and it's a funny story. And I believe I told the story before we used to go on the site. I forgot the name of the site now, but it was basically, it was a website that you can go on and you can find out the status of your packet at what level is your packet approved, disapproved, pending, so on and so forth. And, uh, I remember it was a master sergeant that was in charge of like the, the class assignments, you know, and, uh, putting the chess pieces on the chess board. So in Kuwait, I had called her, you know, she was stateside, uh, it, uh, stateside at HRC. And, uh, I was like, Hey, masters on, I say, my name is staff Sergeant Anderson. I put a recruiting, pa submitted a, a recruiting packet. Just wanted to make sure, you know, everything is good to go. She's like, Oh yeah. I'm looking at your, uh, looking at your packet right now. And she was like, where do you, uh, where do you, where do you want to go for recruiting duty? Because they, what they did, they, they provided you a map of, of the United States and that was color coded by battalions and brigades. So I wanted to go to, uh, New York, though, that was my first choice. I wanted to go to Philadelphia, Baltimore, Miami, Los Angeles, San Antonio. Uh, I think I picked Chicago. I did not pick Detroit, which falls into the Great Lake, uh, Great Lakes Battalion. Detroit was not on that freaking list whatsoever, right? I love Detroit. That was my city, but I had no desire to become a recruiter in Detroit. And so, they looked at the list and I was like, oh, yeah, we matched you up. You're from Detroit, right? And I was like, Roger, Master Sergeant. She said, oh, okay, that's where you're going. And I'm like, well, shoot, did y'all see these other cities on the list? These New Yorks, these Baltimores, these Philadelphias and all that? She said, oh, no, you're going to Detroit. We need somebody boots on the ground at the grassroots level that knows the street, that knows the climate of the city to be, to be a recruiter in the city. And she's like, you ain't got a problem with that. Like, I'm going to say, no, nah. you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm with it. And I tell you, um, 
it was uh it was different. The Detroit that I grew up in was not the same one I recruited in. And I tell that story as I go on along with this. But that was one of the, that was the second reason why I became a recruiter is to get a break from deployments. And if you're one of them folks, especially you've been deployed, you go to the field a lot, you go on a lot of these rotations, a lot of these exercises, you get to the point where you are armied out. You get to the point where you are operational armied out. And so some choose recruiting, some choose to be an instructor, some choose to be a drill sergeant, some uh, choose to go to EO, EO school, equal opportunity school, Sometimes you get to a point, especially when you become staff sergeant, sergeant first class, you want to do something else. You want to do something else. You kind of want to get away from the soldiers in a sense, especially if you've been a platoon sergeant or something. Sometimes you want to get away and kind of just, you know, get your career going. Make sure you're, you know, you're the spearhead of greatness. So that was reason number two needed a break from deployments. Number three. And to enhance my communication skills. The third reason was to enhance my communication skills. Right. And I've, you know, I've always been blessed to be in assignments where, you know, I had the brief generals and, and freaking sergeant majors and commanders and at every echelon. Right. But I never, I didn't have the opportunity to really talk to civilians. And I thought it would be a unique opportunity to talk to civilians to mothers, to fathers, to aunts and uncles, and, and try to have that conversation where I can move them into potential enlistment in the army. And I had, you know, I thought, I thought I had a battery pack in my back when I would go out and go to the homes and talk to people about the army. The army is great. I'm a staff sergeant now, been a staff sergeant for X years. Uh, the army is great. These are opportunities we have. We have X amount of jobs. You know, based upon your score, your ASVAB score, you can have this job. These jobs are available. So I, I love talking to the parents. I love talking to the uh, centers of influence. We call them COIs. I love talking to the policemen, the the local, uh, the, the the gangsters in the neighborhood. I mean, all these guys that was able, they had a pulse on the neighborhood, talking to folks that had a pulse on the city, a pulse on the climate of Detroit. Like I stated before, the Detroit I grew up in from 1974 to 1994 was different from the recruit from the Detroit I recruited in in 2010 to 2013. Totally different. When I grew up, the factories were still there. I mean, you had a lot of you know the bad neighborhoods, but there were great neighborhoods as well. It was just the climate was different. And so when I would tell the future soldiers and potential uh enlistees in the army my story and everything it was like you know you're kind of like the old man you, you know you remind me of my uncle you remind me of my daddy i'm like well i probably hung out with your uncle and i probably hung out with your daddy you know what i mean and it was just different man i would take the future soldiers and we would do training every day i would take them you know downtown detroit they had like a little area right on the detroit river we'll do training i'll take them to martin luther king high school in detroit We'd do all our drills, you know, teach them how to march and do all that stuff. We would have classes and it was great. You know, I was drive these cats all over. I would pick one day on Mondays. I would pick all the East siders up and, and conduct training on Tuesdays. I would pick up the West siders Thir um, Wednesday. It will go back to the East siders and then Thursday be the West siders and Friday Fridays. I wouldn't conduct any training because a lot of times we had station training. But I tell you, it was an opportunity for me to really just talk to the youth, 
and I thought, I thought that if if I can get down at the at the at the macro level, right, and talk to these folks about the benefits of joining the army, the benefits of leaving home, uh, their futures, man, could be prosperous. And I ran into so much, so many roadblocks and so many obstacles with parents that they, I don't want to let my son go to the army. All y'all do is fight. All y'all do is go to war. Well, we're, you know, we raise our right hand to protect and defend, right? That's just what we is. Whether, whatever you believe in, that's what you raise your right hand for. But there were so many parents. Oh, I can't let my daughter go to the army. She's going to get killed. Oh, I can't let my son go to the army. She's going to get killed. At the end of the day, I told him, I said, look, man, I'm from Detroit. You're from Detroit. We're in Detroit. I'm here recruiting in the streets of Detroit. Have you seen what's around you and you worrying about your kid getting killed in the army? Let me tell you, I am from these streets. I understand Detroit, right? I am, I am the epitome of Detroit. I get it. But at the end of the day, you look like me. I look like you look what the army has done for me. Right. And when I conveyed that message and it was from the heart, it wasn't nothing I learned in recruiting school that came from the heart that came from the sacrifice that came from the blood, the sweat, the tears of being from Detroit and now having the opportunity to recruit in Detroit. That was monumental to me talking to those parents again, talking to those centers of influence, talking to those neighborhood leaders, the the, the guys in the neighborhood that you know, had a pulse on the situation. Right. And it was just an opportunity to take someone 17, 18, 19, whatever, how old they are. And tell them, hey, man, this is what the army has done and is doing for me. Get, let's get a piece of this pie. If you end up getting deployed somewhere, hey, that's what we do, man. But if you get deployed, your family's taken care of. You're taken care of. You're getting an education. You're making that sacrifice, right, for the greater good, the opportunity to mentor people, to be a mentee. You can't pass that stuff up. It was, I'm telling you, it was invaluable. And that's the third reason why I want to enhance my communication skills. Cause yeah, you know, as a platoon sergeant, as a squad leader, team leader, section chief, you could talk to your soldiers. But when you start talking to civilians about the army, it was different. And I tell you from that time period, from 2010 to 2013, as a staff sergeant back then, it was great. And I look back at it as now look back now as a retiree, and I'm proud of what I did as a recruiter. I'm proud of the recruiters that was in our station in Detroit because we was great, man. We did some phenomenal things in that city and all the suburban recruiters that was in Michigan. They used to laugh at us. Oh, y'all got to go to these high schools. Oh, y'all got to do this and that. But I'm telling you, man, we set a foundation. We, we did some great things, you know, with the future soldiers, man. It was an awesome time. So that was the third reason why to enhance my communication skills. Uh, yeah, man. Cause I never had a, you know, as you could tell, I never met a microphone. I didn't like, I never had a problem talking to people, but I always thought it was a challenge on trying to, to get someone. I didn't know who didn't have to listen to me and tell them his, him or her and their parents about the experiences in the army, my experiences in the army. These are the potential roadblocks you may have. These are the, the triumphs you, you may have. These are the failures you may have. Because at the end of the day, you got to lay that foundation. I always say it brick by brick, step by step, you know. So it was a wonderful thing, right? Went off on the tangent. Started filling in my heart, right? Uh, last reason why I volunteered to join the Army. Number four, 
the opportunity to change lives and situations. We talked about that. Remember going in the future soldiers' homes and some of their houses, they weren't in the best shape, weren't in the best condition. But as recruiters, especially the ones in our station, because we had the majority of the folks that was in our recruiting station, they were from Detroit. And we had Chicago, we had uh, cats from Ohio and other places. But the majority of our guys were from Detroit. So we understood the city. We understood the pulse. We, we, we knew what that concrete felt like, if you know what I mean. And walking those streets and talking about those streets in the streets was different. And so it was definitely an opportunity to change people's lives. Because like I said, I remember you going in an enlistee's house and he's just sitting there. They got rats all over. They're eating ramen noodles. And I remember one story one time. And when it's uh, uh, this before I became a future soldier manager, I uh, had an appointment for like three o'clock, like on a Tuesday. And uh, the mother was like, don't show up to the house, this and that. I don't want him joining. You know, I'm claiming him on my taxes, this and that and everything. And I say, you know what? I'm going to continue to lean forward. I'm not going to worry about how loud this mother is getting on the phone because I'm going to the freaking house. Because I never like to conduct the, the interviews in the station. Because you can lie while you're in the recruiting station when the recruiter's talking to you. Oh, I love the Army. The Army's great. As soon as they leave, they don't care about it. But what I used to do, I used to love to conduct the interviews. And your interviews are typically two and a half hours, right? If that's, if that's still the standard. I don't know if it is now. And uh, I would go in the house and I used to use everything in that house against them. I would do a, a, a check. Okay, the blinds are messed up. Freaking rats everywhere. Bad carpeting, couch look bad, no food in the refrigerator, eating ramen noodles, the house stink, got them. I would use everything to my advantage to try to get that person, male or female, to join the army. So this particular day, appointment set for like three o'clock. So I go over there, got my laptop, got all my notes and everything ready to roll. This cat isn't freaking, he's enlisting in the freaking army. I don't freaking care what happens. You're going to freaking sign this contract, right? course why you go through maps and everything and so the mother's like he ain't joining he ain't joining and i told him after i was there for like an hour just going back and forth with with the mother the guy wanted to join and he was 18 he's still living at the home technically he didn't need parental consent because he was over 17 17 you need parental consent but the fact that he lived there he him being respectful to his mother you know he kind of just sat there so i'm talking back and forth with the mother and it got to a point i said forget it I said, you know what? I said, I come in this house. You guys are eating ramen noodles. You know, it's rats everywhere. Your blinds are messed up. I said, you know what? Check this out. I'm getting, I'm packing up all my gear right now. And I'm going to sit in the car. I said, because why y'all sitting here eating ramen noodles and looking at these blinds and these uh, bullet wounds in a daggone window? I'm going home. And you know what I got ready for home? You know what my wife cooking me tonight? Steak and freaking lobster. Surf and freaking turf. And I'm going to have me a glass of freaking lemonade. And when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to another uh, person's house to try to get them to enlist in the army. So you guys tell me what you want to do. Now, inside, internally, I knew, I'm taking, knew I was taking a chance. Because you had, if you made an appointment and you went to an appointment, you had to come back with information. With you know, So I packed up my stuff. I went to the car. Oh, I'm mad. You know, I'm not mad, but I'm you know, playing a role. So I'm walking down the steps. I get in the car. I sat in my car for 15 minutes. I said, 15 minutes, if he doesn't come out or if his mother doesn't come out, I'm pop smoke and you ain't going to hear from me no more, right? 
I just hit my boom arm. So I sat there. Minute 14. Remember, I gave myself 15 minutes. Minute 14 came. The mother came out, said, Stassar Anderson, he's coming out. Uh, just give us a second, all right? I said, don't worry about it. I said, I'll be here. And then you know how in the office you kind of do things. You kind of look at the camera like, got him. But see, what if you listen to what I just said, I used, yeah, I used his his negative environment. I used his environment against him. But I'm, I was from those areas. I understood what he was going through, right? He was ready to leave Detroit. And I saw a lot of myself in a lot of these soldiers, these enlistees that wanted to join the freaking army. I saw myself in these guys. And I was like, man, I left Detroit many moons ago. And look what it did for me. Look what's around you, man. These, these places are not hiring. The education, I mean, come on, man, let's go. Let's let's freaking get on my back, man. Let's freaking I take you to the freaking army, man. Show you what greatness is like. Right. And I'll explain to them the good and the bad, just to be honest. Right. You know, because I think you had to be it couldn't be. Oh, every day in the army is great. Sign here. Oh, I got to tell you about the bad. I got to tell you about the negative. I got to tell you about the good. I got to tell you about the impossible. I got to tell you about the possible. I got to do all these things to ensure you are mentally equipped to ensure you are physically equipped to carry on, carry on the traditions of the United States army. And I tell you, now I went off on a tangent, but you know, that was from the heart right there. Those are the reasons why I joined. Well, I volunteered to become a U.S. army recruiter. And there's so many other reasons. I probably have a part two to this, but again, the whole, the genesis of this story the genesis of this way back Wednesday story is because I saw one of our old future soldiers who's currently a staff sergeant just came back from Korea, had his family. He plans on retiring. Hey man, life is great. So thank you guys for tuning in today on this way back Wednesday on this heartfelt way back Wednesday. And I know I left a lot of stories out. I just want to keep it to four. Again, I may make a part two of this, uh, but I tell you, man, I, I I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to become a U.S. Army recruiter. I, you know, I, I did everything I could within the guidelines and regulations of the U.S. Army as it relates to recruiting. Uh, and I tell you, man, it's one of the best, one of the five best things, best jobs I ever had in the Army. Uh, so I tell you, man, the ability, when you, when you have the ability and the vehicle to change people's lives, Man, being a mentor, tell you, man, it's it's great, phenomenal. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Thank you guys for tuning in. See you guys tomorrow for a uh, gym shoe story on a Thursday, and uh, we'll get it cracking. So, like we always say, say it together. Trust and believe. See y'all tomorrow. Thanks. <laughs>